0: of Genesis, chapter 47, starting at verse 27, going through to 48, verse 20. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt, in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favour in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I'll do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on his staff. Sometime later Joseph was told, Your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, Your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan, while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head though he was the younger, and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name, And the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. You put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh.
1: Let's pray as we uh, keep that passage open and have a look at it. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we come to you this morning and ask that your spirit who wrote and inspired these words to be penned. We pray that he might work in our hearts and in our minds again this morning. That we might hear clearly. Understand truthfully. And so walk faithfully, we pray. Amen. Uh, Last year, uh, I got a call from uh, a friend and she was in tears and she said um, her mother has just been kind of given, has just been told that she's going to pass at any moment and there's nothing they can do. Her mother, kind of about 18 months previously, had been diagnosed with motor neuron disease. And so they had gone through a long journey of tears, a long journey of seeing uh, their strong mother, in some sense, um, uh, become weaker and weaker and require her children to kind of care for her like their mother cared for them when they were small children and um my this friend of mine she said my my mum's uh minister isn't around at the moment he's away overseas and she said would you be able to to come and kind of sit with my mum sit with my sisters and me and and just kind of work through this right and um you know, what do you say in that kind of situation, right? You can't, you can't say no, uh, oh, sorry, I'm just a bit busy, right? You hop in the car and you drive over and that whole drive, you're kind of just pleading and praying with God and you're kind of filled with this sense of, man, I'm just kind of 30 years old or so. What, what can I really do here? What can I really say here? And reality is for the most part, they don't need you to say or do anything. They just need you to listen really but I'm sitting there at um, this lovely lady Helen's uh, bedside, and um, she, all she can do is kind of sh- scribble in um, kind of pretty messy handwriting on a whiteboard. Um, she can't speak, and she just writes, ready for heaven. Ready for heaven. And... Um, Uh, it is the hardest part of, in any sport, in anything, the hardest part is closing it out. And it's the hardest part of life well. How do you finish well? How do you close it out well? And I'm sitting here as this 30-year-old and I'm kind of looking at this incredible woman who, by the world's standards is so weak, and yet there's such strength right there. Kind of, uh, Paul talks about, though, our bodies, our a- outside bodies are kind of frail and fading away. Inwardly, we're being renewed, right? And uh, you find that here is a woman who is closing it out well. Here is a woman who has her eyes... Firmly fixed on the promises of God. Well today in our passage we start to see Joseph closing it out. The clock is ticking down and we will see how does he close it out. In verse 27 we are told that the Israelites have now settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen and there they have acquired property. And not just that, but they've grown and flourished. And there is a contrast, if you remember last week. If you remember last week, the Egyptians, during this period of famine, they have lost their property. They've kind of forfeited it to Pharaoh, right? And they've entered into some kind of servitude with him. Whereas the Israelites in Egypt haven't lost property, they've acquired it. And they haven't become kind of entered into a slavitude, but rather they have um grown fruitful and increase in number. And what we are starting to see, what we're meant to kind of pick up on is, this is the language of God's promise to Abraham. And we're kind of seeing, you know, the, the first shoots kind of, the first green things green things that tells you how much of a gardener I am kind of popping out of the soil right and there's that little bit of excitement uh jacob uh and i we got he got these little kind of pottery animal faces that you would put soil in them and you would uh, put some grass seeds in them and uh you would water it and they would grow hair right and we watered it and then, about five ten minutes later, Jacob comes back and he says, "Dad, it's not working, <laughs> right?" So we threw him in the bin, and that was now. Just wait, just wait, it'll get there. Next morning, still nothing. Dad, it's not working. Just wait, just wait. Couple of mornings later, Dad, Dad, I can see it, right? The first shoots sprouting through, and that's what we are getting. Here, Israel as a nation was starting to grow. And while Israel as a nation was starting to grow, Israel the man is starting to fade. And while Israel the man is starting to fade, notice where his eyes are fixed. Verse 29, When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favour in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh. And if you're kind of like, that's a bit weird. What's going on is this is kind of um, a symbol, a ritual. If you imagine for a moment, uh, you can close your eyes. We're not going to enact it, so don't freak out. But imagine someone, if you will, putting their hand under your thigh. Let me tell you what you're probably feeling. Uncomfortable. Here's what you're also feeling. A real sense of kind of vulnerability. A real sense of kind of intimacy. And just that this person has almost a great deal of power over you right and if you're the person if you can imagine you're kind of now the person that's put your hand under someone else's thigh and as you're feeling that hamstring you feel both strength and power of the hamstring and the vulnerability of that kind of thigh and maybe the blood as it's pulsing through it and that's what you're meant to feel that's what this symbol is meant to do kind of the vulnerability and intimacy mixed with kind of the strength and power that the other person has here as this oath is being made. And what does he ask? He says, put your hand under my thigh and promise me that you will show kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt. But when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. And I loved how John read this, right? He, Like, I loved how he read it. Swear to me. Right? There's that kind of almost desperation. Like, I know you said it, but swear, swear it to me. And Joseph swore to him and Israel Worshipped. Why is Jacob so fixated upon his bones being carried, not buried in Egypt, but carried back to the land that God promised? And that's exactly why, because this is the land that God promised. And for Jacob, he is looking around and he's seeing those shoots start to kind of break through. And he's starting to see the promises of God. Being fulfilled. He's looking around. He's seeing his children. Imagine being in Goshen. You're seeing your children. You're seeing your grandchildren. You're seeing your great-grandchildren. And you know, I'm seeing a nation being birthed. And like a sniper or like an Olympian, he is so focused, he is so fixated upon the promises of God and them being fulfilled. And so verse 3 he says to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz, in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase in number. And, and Joseph and Jacob's seen that, right? I will make you a community of peoples. And what hasn't he seen yet? And I will give you this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. And so while at times Jacob is... Not the most honest bloke. While at times Jacob is selfish and self-centered, while at times, like, Jacob is never winning Father of the Year, no matter how old he lives, right? It's like, has he got to 147? Cause he's just trying every year to get that award. He's never gonna get it, right? But the one thing that Jacob has in his favor, and this has been throughout his life, is he is a man who is fixated upon what is important, and that is the grabbing hold of the promises of God. And so you saw it in Genesis 25, right? His brother comes home from hunting and smell is hungry and smells Jacob's bowl of stew and says, Can I have a bowl? And what's Jacob's response? Give me your birthright. Like, I just feel like, how often is this coming up for them, right? Pass me my toy. Give me your birthright. Like, that's a man who is fixated upon receiving and being part of the blessing of God. Having the covenant promises of God find its fulfillment and place and through him. That he wants to swim in that river. In Genesis 32, right, he um, meets with an angel of God. And in one of the most bizarre scenes in the kind of Old Testament, he wrestles with this angel all night, refusing to let go until what? Until the angel gives him the blessing of God. It's like, I'm not letting go. You can kick me, you can punch me, we can wrestle, and in fact, you're going to wrench my hip so that I'm never going to be able to walk right again. But I'll do it all, and I'm going to cling till my knuckles are white until you give me the promises of God, the blessings of God. And so for Jacob, he is locked on, and even in death, Even in death, he wants to be there and part of them. He wants to be part of the land where God is going to make Himself known. He wants to be part of the land where God is going to make a great nation. He wants to be there, even if it's his cold bones in the in the ground. He wants to be there in the land where God will, um, where God will will give a seed of Abraham that will then bless all nations. I think this is where Paul kind of echoes, echoes kind of Jacob's focus, right? So in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says this, he says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do whatever, they they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. number of years ago now, um, They interviewed a bunch of Olympians, hundreds of Olympians actually, and they asked them, they said, if we were to give you a drug right now, if you were able to take an illegal drug that would guarantee you a gold medal, and there was a 100% guarantee that you would never get caught, would you take the drug? 70% of the Olympians said they would take it. So that 70% they asked a second question and they said, if we were to give you an illegal drug that would guarantee you the gold medal and there was a 0% chance of you ever getting caught, but you would die in the next 10 years, would you take it? Out of that 70%, 60-something said yes. 60-something percent. 67% or something said yes. These are 18, 19, 20, 22-year-olds, right? Trading a gold medal for the rest of their lives. How much more so we, who work for a medal, for a prize, that can never fade, that will never rust, that can never be taken away, how much more so we, And that's why Paul goes on to say in verse 27, No, I I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself might not be disqualified from the prize. Do you hear what he's saying? As we run this race, if you don't want to be disqualified, you're going to have to train, you're going to work hard, you're going to have to sweat. But it's also going to mean that you're going to need to be saying no to yourself. right? And we live in a time and culture which says, be yourself. Be yourself. And Paul and Jesus say, if you follow after me, you must deny yourself. Is going to mean saying no to your own desires. I've got a couple of friends that um, struggle with same-sex attraction. Um who are Christian and uh, some of them are walking well with Jesus. Some of them are really, I guess, struggling. But one of the things they have said to me is, they said, it it seems like so often what's being said is that I need to deny my very self. I need to give up who I am. And everyone else just needs to put 10% in the plate on a Sunday. And hear me, that, that is a fair rebuke sometimes. It is a fair rebuke sometimes. All of us, all of us are called to deny ourselves. All of us are called to, if we seek after the prize, the promises of God that we will need to say no to ourselves. Because Jacob, he wants to be part of it, but more than that, he wants his grandsons to be part of it. In verse 5, and this is where we get to the second part of the passage, we go through what is kind of an ancient Near Eastern adoption ceremony. So Jacob adopts his grandsons Ephraim and Manasseh as his own sons. And you've got to believe, right, that that is going to be an awkward conversation when Joseph gets home to with his wife. Like, ladies, how many of you are going to be thrilled if your husband comes home and says, so you know how you think? Um, granddad's a bit crazy. Yeah, he now adopted our sons. Right? That's going to be awkward. But what Jacob wants to ensure, what he's doing is wanting to ensure that his half-Egyptian grandsons are, are bound and come under The promises of God and, and come and follow after Yahweh, the Israelite God and not the Egyptian gods. He knows that their mother is an an Egyptian priestess and so he is binding them under the covenant and promises from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob now to them. He is adopting them as his own. And, and this is why um, Ephraim and Manasseh, all through the rest of the Bible, are known as the tribes of Jacob. They are part of the tri- 12 tribes of Jacob. Throughout the Bible, the 12 tribes of Jacob include all of Jacob's sons, minus Joseph. There's no tribe of Joseph. Ephraim and Manasseh fill that slot, and it's actually a baker's dozen. There's 13. But the Levites aren't counted because they are the tribe of priests. And so they're scattered throughout everyone, rather than just kind of like one suburb where all the priests live, right? Imagine if it's just like, okay, Lizaro is going to be, for New South Wales, where all the ministers live, right? That's going to be a terrible kind of way to support people spiritually, right? And so the 12 get established. The 12 get established and Jacob knows. Jacob ensures that his grandsons will also receive the promises of God. Why? Because Jacob's confidence in the promise is not in his own ability to fulfill the promise, but it is in the promise maker. I want you to notice, and we'll kind of end with this, but this passage is sandwiched between Jacob remembering and reminding others of how God has already been fulfilling his promises. Kind of verse 3 to 5, that's it. Verses 15, 16, 17, that's it. Him kind of reminding Joseph of the God who... um, has shepherded and guided him the god who has verse 16 redeemed and delivered him the god who has blessed and kept him verse 20 the god that makes and remakes and so joseph uh, not joseph jacob's confidence and eagerness for the future promises being fulfilled is based on God's past consistency in fulfilling his promises. And so Jacob looks back seeing just how God has fulfilled his promises, promises. And that gives him confidence in looking forward to how God will continue to keep his promises. And so what does that mean for us? How is it that we are to persevere? When we're closing it out. How is it that we are to persevere when we get a call from the doctor and it's not good news? Right? None of us are immune from that phone call. Like one of the things I've, I've just, the more and more and more I go in life is that all of us are just a phone caller away from our lives being turned upside down. Just a phone call away, right? How is it that you persevere when you feel weak and frail, when you feel overwhelmed and afraid? How is it that you persevere when you are standing over the casket of your spouse or when your child needs to change your bedpan? Not by looking at yourself. But by looking back like Jacob and seeing the ways in which God has kept, guided and redeemed you. By looking back and seeing the one who has persevered and been faithful to you. Even when you were not to him. And you let his past faithfulness give you future confidence. And eager hope. As one martyr once put it. If he did not abandon me in the garden and the cross. He's not going to start now. Let's pray. Father, like that that martyr standing before executioners, we do want to echo his prayer. We want to pray back to you the assurances that we have. We want to, that you did not abandon us in the garden or the cross and you are not going to start now. You're not going to start today. Give us the, the focus and the priorities that, that kind of, that Jacob has and that we see through this passage to be part of the promises of God. And for those that we love and care and cherish, our children and our grandchildren, we ask that you might be bringing them under your promises. We pray that you might be working in their heart, that you might be by your spirit giving life and breath and, and hearts of flesh that they may know you, that they may trust you, that they might be part of your covenant people as well. And we pray this for for the glory of Jesus. Amen.